in light of the crazy events taking place in our world today, I've got some wisdom from Scripture, and phone lines are open. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Well, it is... Great to be back with you in studio today. Michael Brown, delighted to be here with you. 866-34-TRUTH, number to call 866-348-7884. Any question you want to ask me of any kind, biblical subject, theological subject, practical, cultural, anything of any kind, phone lines are open as we do on Fridays You've got questions, we've got answers. We'll be doing that today. Once more, 866-348-7884. But before that, I want to talk with you about the world in which we live, the society in which we find ourselves, and uh, some biblical wisdom for the hour, some biblical wisdom for the moment. If I have time, I've got to tell you about a, a little adventure that I had, an interesting little adventure that I had in uh, Manhattan yesterday. Uh, we'll, we'll do that hopefully as well. And just checking a couple of things here. All right. Um, not sure something happened on my connection here, but hopefully you can all see me and hear me. All right. 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. All right. Uh, so I don't know how much you followed everything with the alleged attack on Jesse Smollett. And, uh, I, I'd never seen the TV show empire. There are plenty of TV shows I've never seen. I've never, I'd never heard of Jesse Smollett before the alleged attack. Then you hear the word that there's this alleged attack on a gay black man in Chicago these white guys wearing Make America Great hats, et cetera. So it was homophobic and it was racist. And this kind of reflects all of Trump supporters and white supremacists and anyone wearing a MAGA hat, et cetera. When I, when I heard the report, like many, I thought, ah, something sounds funny about this. It just it sounded exaggerated. It sounded to me like it had been faked. Now, now you know, you don't, you hope you're wrong on a certain level because what kind of person would fake something like that? On the other hand, on the other hand, uh, it, it, you want the truth to come to light. Any, anyhow, so as I'm wondering, I don't know, this thing just doesn't sound right. All these others for whom this fits wonderfully into their narrative, for whom this fits wonderfully into their own mindset. Oh, they're all over this. So, Let's look, for example, Senator Cory Booker. Senator Cory Booker hears about this. He says the vicious attack on actor Jesse Smollett was an attempted modern day lynching. I'm glad he's safe to those in Congress who don't feel the urgency to pass our anti-lynching bill designating lynching as a federal hate crime. I urge you to pay attention. And, and the bill actually passes through Senate right after this. So Cory Booker, there's no, this not alleged an attack. This is not maybe or possibly or, larger issues I, I want to look at larger issues of, of all right are we 
Are we good here, friends? I just hear feet in my ear coming in and out. Not sure what's happening, but we just keep moving forward. But if someone communicated with me, that would be great. All right. So Cory Booker, no questioning it. He doesn't reference anything alleged. No, no, nothing whatsoever. Instead, instead, what does he say? The vicious attack on actor Jesse Smollett was an attempted modern day lynching. I'm glad he's safe. All right. What does Senator Kamala Harris say? This also fits well her narrative, the evil white supremacist Trump supporters. She says, Jesse Smollett is one of the kindest, most gentle human beings I know. I'm praying for his quick recovery. This was an attempted modern day lynching. There's the same language. No one should have to fear for their life because of their sexuality or color of their skin. We must confront this hate. Oh, it, she knows it happened. It actually happened because it was reported. Again, the moment you hear it, you think something just sounds funny about this story. Something just sounds unbelievable about it. She buys it hook, line, and sinker, as does Cory Booker. And uh, there's a report, Breitbart reported that. I'm not going to scroll through because there's a lot of foul language here. But leading celebrities, one after another after another. Here, Breitbart reports 15 celebrities who blamed Trump, deplorable so his followers, for a hoax attack on Jesse Smollett. So there it is. There it is. He's guilty. The people, the, the attackers that happened, they're guilty. Trump is guilty. Pence is guilty. They're, the, 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 Eddie, all Trump supporters are now white supremacists and they want to beat up gays. And that's the way the narrative was being conveyed, was being reported through the secular media, celebrities, tweets, and other things. Now, ironically, as the whole story fell apart and as, as only the diehards of the diehards were holding on to it still being true, Kamala Harris was asked about it, and she said, well, there's going to be an investigation. I don't want to say anything until there's a full investigation. Oh, well, hang on. So when there are allegations that fit your narrative, when there are allegations that fit your biases or your prejudices or whatever they are, when there are allegations, they ha that's true, it happened. That's exactly what happened. But when it doesn't fit, well, let's wait until all the evidence is in. Now, I'm going to give you biblical wisdom in a moment here, all right, because we can all do this. We can all rush to judgment. The thing fits our narrative, it fits our perception, fits our bias, so we rush to judgment with it, all right? But let me, let me just give you some examples. Daily Caller had a list of, of hoaxes, all right? Here's a list of hoax hate crimes in the Trump era, all right? So, these were alleged hate crimes that never happened. They were hoaxes. They were perpetrated by the people themselves or by others close to them. Let's just look at a few examples of those, all right? Let's take a look at a few examples. Anti-Muslim hate crime in Michigan turns out to be a hoax, November 2016. Bisexual student fakes Trump-inspired hate crime, November 2016. Gas station goes viral, then police debunk it. Uh, gas station racism, November 2016. White men rob Muslim women of her hijab and wallet, except it never happened, November 2016. Church organist vandalizes own church, November two, six, 2016. Allegedly anti-gay, drunk white men attack Muslim women in story that also never happened, December 2016. So 
that's just a, this is one after another, after another story, after story, after story, after story. One thing after another that allegedly happened and another allegedly, and, and none of them were real. Yeah, there are ugly things taking place all the time. There is racism. There is violence. Yeah, yeah, and anti-Semitic acts and anti-Latino acts and anti-black acts. And these things, are, yeah, that happened. We understand that. But here's one thing manufactured after another, after another, after another, after another. Jason Salomon, uh, a colleague of mine active online and, 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 and speaking the truth in the midst of social media, he compiled through, I think, six, uh, 2017 re- references the Rainbow Jihad. He compiled uh, a list of fake hate crimes against gays. And if we can grab that graphic, Kai. So, so he, he compiled this list, Rainbow Jihad, Crying Wolf, nonstop fake hate crimes perpet- perpetrated by homosexual activists. All right, and, and he gives example after example after example. And he says, why should anybody trust or believe the homosexual activists in their simpatico whenever they claim oppression or claim victimization? And then one example after another from the classic Matthew, Matthew Shepard case, tragic death, but it was not what it was reported to be. Laws have been based on that, whole movement's based on that. One, and he's got documented one example after another with links, with links. Uh, Azalea Cooley, a secret place videotape. From the very morning, showed a woman with close-cropped hair step past her wheelchair, stick a wooden cross and a flower pot on her back porch, and set alight it was Azalea. When detectives confronted her with the evidence, she slashed her wrist and was hospitalized. A week later, she penned a handwritten note confessing that the incidents had been staged, admitting that she didn't have cancer and need a wheelchair. I mean, these are alleged homophobic, hate-filled acts, one after another after another. That, that never happened. And now we have the la- now we have the latest with the media complicit, with celebrities complicit with political leaders complicit, all pushing a narrative that was based on allegations which right on the surface were totally questionable for a host of reasons. <clears throat> so here is some biblical wisdom for all of us. Let, let, let me just read some verses to you. Start in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3. Proverbs 13, verse 3. And, and what, is, what is written there? Proverbs 13.3. It tells us <clears throat> that he who watches his mouth protects his life. He who watches his mouth guards his lips. He protects his life. And what does it say? But whoever opens wide his lips comes to ruin. How about Proverbs chapter, 20, uh, chapter 17? Proverbs 17. Verses 27 and 28. There's a warning for us there. One with knowledge restrains his words, and a discerning person stays calm. Verse 28, even a fool who keeps quiet is considered wise, discerning if he seals his lips. What about Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2? It tells us about the characteristics of a fool. He finds no delight in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. How many times does that, that describe you or me that we act foolishly? We no delight in understanding, but rather only in expressing our opinion. What's written in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 20? Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see someone hasty in his words? This is our hope for a fool than for him. Whoa, and a fool, again, is someone morally bankrupt. And then Jacob, James, 
chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. There we are urged to do what? Let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. How often we get it reversed. We're quick to anger. We're quick to speak. No, no. quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For human anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Let it be a lesson for all of us. You hear a report, you read something on social media, you see a video, you hear an accusation, stop, listen, think, process. Don't go rushing to judgment. Wait, understand, and then when it's right, if appropriate, speak. We'd, we'd save ourselves a whole lot of problems if we do. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back, friends, to The Line of Fire. 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. Phone lines are open for any subject whatsoever you want to talk with me about. As I've had some travel days, I've been unable to take calls on a few days, so I wanted to, to give you some extra opportunities to do so. Again, 866-34-TRUTH. And uh, yesterday, I was on with my friend Eric Metaxas talking about my book coming out in March, Not Afraid of the Antichrist. Also, when he found out about my book, The Power of Music, he was super interested. So we we did a brief interview on that as well. But I was on Long Island, had to get into the city, Manhattan. So took a car via Uber. And I was going to 15th Street in Manhattan. But uh, when I plugged in the address for Uber, so if you never used it, you put the address in where you're going, then a car will, will come and get you, etc. So I, I plugged that in, and I wasn't sure. Did I accidentally put 115? I wasn't sure. So I asked the driver, who it turns out afterwards didn't speak a word of English. I didn't realize that then. I said, did I, is one, not 115, 15 or 15. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, it's you know, like 45 minute to an hour drive. So I took my computer out. I was writing an article busy and we arrive and it's real cold, you know, maybe in high twenties and, and, uh, got my luggage, got my garment bag, got my computer bag, get out. I said, Whoa, Whoa, wait, this is one fifteenth. We are, we are a hundred blocks away from where we're supposed to be in Manhattan. It's just not, not the quickest thing to get from one part to the other. Can, can you get, oh, he doesn't understand what I'm saying. He's just going to drive off. So I'm there. It wasn't the best part of the city to be standing with a garment bag and a computer bag on a street corner. No cabs coming by just because of kind of isolated area where I was. So I ended up having to get another Uber. The guy couldn't find me. I couldn't find him. Finally get there. And any, anyway, it's interesting little adventure, but all turned out well. 866-34-TRUTH. We go to Richmond, Virginia. Jim, thank you for joining us on the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown, how are you? Doing very well, thank you. Good. Uh, I Briefly, uh, I this has been bugging me. Uh, I recently well, watched a, a video by a gentleman, Messianic Jew by the name of Dick Rubin. I'm not sure, sure if you're familiar with him. Yeah, yeah, Dick and I met uh, during the Brownsville Revival in Pensacola, so we knew yeah. each other yeah. late 90s, and we've been... Little contact here and there since then. Yes. Well, uh, 
according to his notes and what he said that in Revelation 2, 1 through 5, about, uh, you know, nevertheless, I have something against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Yeah. He stated in that video, and it was made in, I think, around 2005 or so, mm-hmm. he said that many people think that this is referring to Jesus. In other words, they think that the Church has left their first love of Jesus, and he says this is not the case. The love feast was communion. And everyone that I've heard teaching about Revelation 2 says that they lost their first love. They lost their, uh, you know, honeymoon love. Right, so, well, so how, how does he, yeah, how, does, uh, how are you saying that he interprets they left their first love, meaning what? That they, they think that they left, the first love was Jesus, but he says first love in the Greek is protos agape, protos equals above all supremacy, agape equals love, but is translated love feast. The love feast was communion. Ah, 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 okay, got it, got it, right. So so Dick has done a really good job over the years of helping churches recapture the importance of communion. Uh, Mm -hmm. I know churches for a fact that have recognized the importance of it. Some have instituted on on a weekly basis in their services. Others have said, hey, hey, look, it wasn't just a little ritual. It was it was it was a, a meal, a communal meal. So uh, I know, uh, you know, house church networks, and that's part of their celebration that they have a meal together in the midst of which they celebrate communion, and it's very central, and important. So I, I wouldn't get it from that text. I, I don't, I don't take it from that text. Uh, there are some who claim leaving their first love was love for one another. Uh, I've always taken it the same way: love for Jesus. I was just praying over those words today, and in, in fact. So that's how I've always taken it, that honeymoon love, that first love that we had for him. So I, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't derive it from that text any more than you would. However, I would emphasize that that Dick really has emphasized that we have lost sight of a very important scriptural practice and truth and relegated it often to something kind of minor and maybe a little monthly thing that you do kind of quickly and almost like an afterthought. So even if I wouldn't see that scripture the same way, I absolutely affirm the importance of the, the larger point that he was making about the nature of the love feeds, the communal meals, communion in the midst of that, and how important that is for the body and for spiritual health and spiritual focus. Yes, yes. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, I just <laughs> thank you. It's, you're very uh, welcome. You're all right. Thanks. God bless. All right. God bless. 866-34-TRUTH. Hey, look, I'm, I may not agree with every interpretation of every verse from a friend or colleague, but often the overall point they're making is something I find very important and affirm and agree with. So if I can do that, that that's what I want to leave someone with, the, the point of affirmation and agreement, even if I would get to it through a different scriptural interpretation. All right, let us go to Florida. Aaron in Orlando, welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, thank you for having me. You're welcome. Um, I have kind of an interesting question for you. I've been watching a bunch of different YouTube videos, watching uh, like the Strange Fire conference, and I saw your debate with, I think it was Theodore Zacharias, if I'm saying his name correctly. 
Yeah, Zechariah. Yep. Okay. And I just made an interesting observation that it seems like, judging by their tone and their body language, I almost get the sense that it's not so much that they believe that uh, spiritual gifts are ceased, but I get the sense that they don't want them to continue. And I was curious if you've ever had that feeling and why you think that may be. Well, yeah, the, the first thing is that I'm going to take someone at their word in the midst of a debate or discussion, unless I have uh, absolutely clear evidence to the contrary, I'll, I'll take someone at their word. And if they say, this is my position, then I'll, I'll say that I believe that regardless of body language or anything else, I'll still take someone at their word. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm taking them at their word that they genuinely believe these things and that it has nothing to do with preference or desire. Now, that being said, do I think there are people who are cessationists who, who do not want there to be a manifestation of spiritual gifts today, not just because it would prove them wrong, because none of us want to be wrong in what I believe, but for other sure. reasons. Yeah, I, I've interacted with other cessationists, and it, it seems, so I'm not, I'm not saying this about John MacArthur or Theodore Zechariatis or, or any of these others. I'm just... Sure, and I didn't are, mean, I'm not... I, no, 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 it's perfectly fine. Per- perfectly fine, and, 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 and I, I welcome the question. But uh, here's what I have found. Sometimes people have a certain faith that is so non-experiential that to make it experiential would be disruptive for them, that it would be like an intrusion. Yeah. It, it, would almost, it would almost be like you and your spouse live on property in separate houses and have a good working relationship, but to, to share life together and to share a bed together is, is something other so there are some cessationists to whom I've spoken that, that seem, they just have such a, a formal relationship with God that the idea of a God breaking in or moving in their midst, that would, that would not be something they welcome. I also have interacted with some for whom uh, the power of God coming and moving would be an embarrassment to them, that, that their uh-huh. view of, of, of a proper religious service their view of proper spiritual decorum is such that, you know, let's, we'll give an analogy that they'd be much more at home with a, a, a pipe organ and, 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 a, a you know, a, a, some type of cantata, you know, at, at Easter, they'd be much more at home with that than with going out on the streets and, and laying hands on drug addicts and, you know, who are dying of, of different diseases in Jesus name that, they, you know, this kind of like a, you know, just keep, keep it really nice and sanitized. And this idea of speaking in tongues or laying hands on the sick or the power of God falling upon people is almost a, a, an embarrassment to our sophisticated faith. So in some also, cases, it, yeah, go ahead. I would say it's just, it's sad to me almost that if you don't believe that God even still speaks to us, because I'm always left thinking, why are you a Christian? Why, why even pray if you don't expect to hear his voice, like it leaves me genuinely confused. Yeah, well, that, well, they, yeah, well, I mean, the, their their mindset, Aaron, would be number one: the the scriptures, in terms of communicating the voice and will of God, are are all sufficient. So God speaks to us through His Word, and that we can enjoy God's presence and fellowship without necessarily hearing His voice. I I just wonder though, and, and to to not to question someone's relationship with the Lord based on their being non-charismatic. No, not at all. But to ask, 
when the Bible speaks of the, the fellowship of the Spirit, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, and many churches use that verse as a benediction at the end of the service, that the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and the fellowship of the Spirit would be ours. I wonder, uh, are we really walking in the fullness of that fellowship if there's not that sense, some sense of intimacy or, or interaction or something back and forth? It doesn't have to be, I, the Lord, am saying to you today, turn left at this light. It doesn't have to be that, but is there a deeper fellowship that we are called to enjoy that God offers to us through the gospel that maybe some of our cessationist friends are not enjoying? All right, we'll be right back. Thanks for your question. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I was not able to take your calls on Monday and Tuesday. Monday, I was in New York, Queens, New York, meeting with pastors and leaders strategizing in light of the horrific new abortion law in New York State. It is as bad as reported. An attorney went through details with us. We're strategizing about how to move forward with a pro-life emphasis in the state of New York, believing that this wicked law in the midst of a wicked pro-abortion state to be used to awaken the church to action. And then yesterday was on the radio doing interviews for my dear friend, Eric Metaxas, that will air on his show in the days ahead. So because of that, was unable to take your calls live. So the phone lines are open for any and all subjects. And here, can I give a personal invitation? Here's the number first, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. Can I give a personal invitation? If you're listening and just the sound of my voice gets you upset, your blood boils and you get angry, call me and tell me why. Yeah, give me a call. Don't just post angry comments and hateful comments and wish that I die of this disease and that. By the way, the more death wishes come my way, the healthier I'm getting. Everything meant to be a curse, God turns into a blessing as we honor him and, and obey him. Uh, and yet, and he's helped me to have a wonderfully healthy lifestyle for years now, and that's made a massive, massive difference, literally feeling younger, literally feeling younger every year for several years now, literally. I'm not exaggerating. Quite, quite honestly. But in any case, maybe you're one of those detractors, critics, watching on YouTube, watching on Facebook, posting on Twitter, making comments, putting up videos against me. Give me a call. Tell me, tell me why you differ so, so, so strongly, politically, socially, morally, theologically, spiritually. Yeah, phone lines are open for critics. I've, I've done many a critic call-in day on, on many a specific subject and general subjects, and very rarely will the critics call. Oh, I know the critics listen and watch because I get blasted by them day and night, which is, I'm, I'm glad they're listening and watching. It's a good sign to me. Uh, you say, well, we, I work during the day. Well, so the only ones who don't work 
the only ones who are able to call during the day are the non-critics. Is that how it is? <clears throat> 866-34-TRUTH. But all questions are welcome, right? You can be a friend. You can love the radio show. All questions are welcome. Uh, let's go to Nashville, Tennessee. Chris, welcome to the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Uh, thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, and I just want to say, for me personally, when I hear the sound of your voice, I usually think I'm probably getting ready to learn something. So there I we go. appreciate your ministry and, and everything you do, and, uh, and I appreciate you taking my call. Sure thing, so um, thank you. My question has to do with Genesis 3 mm-hmm. and verse 22, when the Lord God said that the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might reach out his hand also, or, and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever, so he drove them out. My question is, what is your view on what that tree of life right there is and how Adam and Eve had, re- you know, what, what type of relationship with that tree did they have that they had to be driven out from, and then to what extent did Jesus, you know, his atonement on the cross restore, if anything, to, to what it's talking about there? Um, yeah, so for, for, uh, n- number number one, it it was something from which Adam and Eve were forbidden to eat because if they ate it, literally, they would never have died physically. So now you'd have the ultimate monstrosity of Adam and Eve who would have eternal life on this earth and yet be fallen because of their disobedience. So that, that would be the calamity of all calamities. And that's why God forbade it. So technically speaking, sir, the reason all human beings die is not only because we've sinned. And so we, Adam, our forefather fell. We became a sinful fallen race, all of whom would die uh, but not only that, because we don't have access to eat of the tree of life. If, if we did theoretically, then, then we'd physically live forever while continuing to sin, which would then bring all types of chaos and destruction. That being said, there is a spiritual tree of life from which we eat that gives us eternal life, a spiritual tree of life from which we partake, Jesus being that life, and then a tree of life in the New Jerusalem, either literally or metaphorically, that brings ongoing blessing with it. But uh, again, whether you take it as a physically literal tree in a physically literal place, which would be the, the simplest reading of, of the text in Genesis 3, bottom line is that Adam and Eve, if they could have eaten of that after having fallen, and in a fallen condition, now understanding good and evil, but, but as fallen human beings, the way that would be destructive, yeah, if they ate of the tree of life, they would have physically lived forever. And that's why they had to be stopped from it, uh, because that would have been, as I said, the ultimate calamity. Gotcha. So that makes sense. So whether it was a physical thing or not, what we're the, how we're restored back to relationship with God, that's a spiritual thing. And it wouldn't be a, a physical manifestation. Right. We, we, have forever, e- we have eternal life now because our sins have been forgiven and we have been born from above and our bodies may die, but we will live forever. And then 
one day get resurrected bodies as well. Right. So we don't need access to a physical tree, but then our resurrected bodies will be eternal bodies that will, will not die. Hey, thank you, Chris, for the question. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go over to New York, where I just was. Philip, welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown, how are you doing? Thanks for calling. Uh, thanks for accepting the call. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> thank you for calling. Yeah, I just have a... Uh, well, I must add, you look pretty mighty buff on your new haircut. Uh, oh, throw that out there. well, buff with the haircut. All right, that's sweet. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that. By the way... Uh, you may be watching a show after this, like a few days from now, and my hair is suddenly longer. Well, that would mean that we just pre-recorded it when my, it's not like it goes back and forth so much. For those like, what the, I was watching Dr. Brown, and the hair was short, then it got long, and it got short again. That would be the explanation. <laughs> okay, so as to your question, sir. Yeah, I just want to ask about Isaiah 66, you know, uh, 15 to 17. Yep. You know, uh, on the scriptures themselves, it talks mm-hmm. about uh, eating swine flesh and the abomination and the mouse. Yep. And how how do these, you know, scriptures stand on itself? Is this end-time prophecy or...? Yeah, so I, I do take Isaiah 66 as prophecy at the end of the age and of God coming in, in judgment uh, and... It is judgment on sinning people Israel and judgment on sin in the the nations as well. Uh, and, you know, as you go on, it does seem to speak of a, of a restoration that comes out of it. Hence, hence the idea of, of a, of a uh, future prophecy. But um, I don't necessarily connect, say, verse 16, God's judgment on, on all flesh with verse 17 verse 17 it seems now god is speaking specifically a rebuke to his people israel and it can even be a rebuke to the contemporaries of the prophet those who consecrate and purify themselves to go into the gardens following one who is among those who eat the flesh of pigs rats and other unclean things that will meet their end together with the one they follow declares the lord either that is the prophet turning to his generation of sinful people in Israel and rebuking them, or he's rebuking sinning Israelites at the end of the age. It could even be both, but I don't see that God is going to judge the nations for eating the flesh of pigs. For example, in other words, God never judged the nations based on food laws. He, he judged the nations based on universal principles of morality and kindness and covenant keeping and, and against brutality, etc. If you read Amos 1 in the beginning of the second chapter, you'll see that, for example. So I don't see this as a verse that we can use to say, well, God's going to judge the nations based on eating pork. I don't believe that's what it's saying. I believe this is a specific word of rebuke that God's giving to his people in the midst of this oracle, either for the prophet's own day or for the end of the age or for both. Oh, okay, because that was used against you know, that was used on me to justify, you know, Torah observance of yep. dietary laws. Yep. And I was like, I was just, you know, shocked by it. And I was like, is this end time prophecy? And, you know, I, the question that popped up in my mind, should we look at, you know, you know, the justifications of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like know, the, the right. The, the fact, like, the fact is. The lens, you know, New Test- the New Testament on this lens or the other way around? 
Right, right. Well, yeah. it's it's uh, let's read it holistically so it works good front to back and back to front, right? Uh, nowhere in the Old Testament did God ever give dietary laws to the foreign nations that was only given to Israel. Nowhere does he ever judge the foreign nations based on food laws in the Old Testament. If you look at actual judgments and pronouncements, and nowhere does the New Testament lay that on all believers, let alone the nations as a whole. So that is a, a real misapplication of the verse. But I, I knew where it was going, hence, hence my answer. It's a specific word to Israel in the midst of this oracle. It is not a word to all nations specifically. And by the way, even if it was to all nations, it could just be describing a certain group of sinners who are following idols and who eat the flesh of rats and pigs, etc. It's not even saying that God's going to judge all nations based on that. Even if it was a rebuke, it's a rebuke for a certain class of people committing a certain type of sin. But in context, I believe a rebuke to the people of Israel specifically, and largely even to the contemporaries of the prophet who were guilty of such things. All right, um, tell you what, Gina in Texas, you're next. And then Jules, Matthew, Royal, want to get to as many of your calls as I can on the other side of the break, but don't want to cut you off in the middle of your questions. So we'll come right back to your questions tomorrow, thoroughly Jewish Thursday here on the Line of Fire. So your Jewish-related questions will be welcome. Then I'm going to be answering some big Interesting questions on the Friday broadcast of the Line of Fire. If you are in California, anywhere near Santee, part of a Jewish apologetics conference, Friday night, Saturday day in Santee, California, then preaching in Oceanside at Calvary Chapel in Oceanside, California, Saturday night, twice Sunday morning. Also doing a book signing for my Real Kosher Jesus book there. If you can join me, be there. All the info on my itinerary. It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Yes. Yeah, so how is this going to help? Airlines to add new gender alternative for people who don't feel male or female. It's just what the airlines need. I fly all the time and wonder. Yeah, I wonder myself. What about people who don't identify as male or female? It comes up. You have to identify gender. So glad to have another class. Yes, I'm being sarcastic. Yes, my heart goes out to those who are confused. But you don't turn society upside down and create new realities based on people's struggles and confusion. We go to, let's see. Gina in Texas, welcome to the Line of Fire. Thank you, Dr. Brown. You're welcome. Um, my question is uh, your view on, on a point that, that I've been thinking about a lot. I've been listening to a lot about abortion, and I don't believe in abortion, but it made me start thinking about hospice. Are you familiar with hospice? Sure. Okay. Um, people make their decisions to go on hospice, and, and they're... they're you know, they take medication to make them comfortable until they've been diagnosed with terminal illness. And uh, what I wonder is what your views are on on a hospice situation. I've been involved in a couple and helped make decisions when to go on hospice and when that 
final time is when they seem to go to the hospital and they keep them asleep and with medication, and then they pass away. And I just wondered, uh, in comparison with making that choice for an abortion, how do you feel about making that choice for a hospice? Yes, yeah, so there, there are two totally different categories. Uh, abortion is the willful taking of an innocent life. Maybe you can survive outside the womb, or maybe not. But either way, it's, it is the unjustified taking of an innocent life. And I, I see no reason for abortion ever. And you're, you're basically saying this baby, I'm going to decide this baby does not have the right to live. This baby does not have the, the possibility of surviving. I was sent video by a friend today in an article about a baby. The parents were told he has 2% of his brain. Five times they were given options to terminate the pregnancy. They decided to carry the baby to full-term couple in England. He's six years old now. He's learning to surf. He's there on TV talking and laughing. He has 80% of his brain working. Uh, and, you know, who knows? Who knows how many stories like that could be with us if not for abortion. Uh, hospice care is something very different. Uh, we have ways now to preserve life that are unnatural, that, that you keep a heart beating or lungs functioning when, when really human life is, is basically gone and there's no possible hope of, of recovery. So hospice care is a compassionate way to, to honor life and to honor the humanity of the person. And if they have a terminal illness, you can still pray for a miracle up to the last minute. You're not killing them. You're not putting them to death. You're not saying, okay, Doctors say this cancer is going to kill you in two years, so we'll execute you today. No, no, it's compassionate care for those who are terminally ill. And you're not hastening their death. You're making them comfortable and having them in an environment that, that is, is more conducive to having friends and family there than a hospital often can be in the midst of the life and death situations that it's engaging in. So hospice care is often a very Christian thing, a very kind thing, a very compassionate thing, and a very life-honoring thing to do, the exact opposite of abortion. Well, thank you very much. Um, that's kind of the way I always saw it, but like I said, I was involved in, a, in more than one situation, and I got to thinking down another road, you know, that, that I helped make a decision for them basically in their life, and that was... Yeah, so you weren't, you weren't making, yeah, Gina, and thanks for being sensitive and being there. You know, it's so difficult uh, to be in those situations. But in, in short, you weren't making a decision to terminate an innocent life. You're making a decision to help someone be comfortable and, and lo in a loving environment at the end of their life. Thank you for the call. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go over to Jules in Canada. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Yeah, it's an honor to talk to you, Dr. Brown. Thank you, sir. I, I, yeah, I just want to mention something. I think I talked to you or screener. I was about thinking, what's important to me is having unity without uniformity. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll mention one person's name, then you'll give it, and I'll give you help you in advance to give you a background what I kind of believe in. If I mention the word, the name of the person named Dwight Pryor, do you know who I'm speaking of? Sure do. Yeah. Okay, great. So now I don't have to go into great detail. But hang on I, for the I, hang on for the for the sake of my my listeners, 
Dwight Pryor with the Lord now was a Gentile Christian Jewish roots teacher. He loved to open up the lover of the word and loved to open up the scriptures and show the Jewish background of the New Testament and how understanding Jewish culture, Jewish law would open up the New Testament. So he was best known as a Jewish roots teacher. And we got, we got to be in some meetings together and, and he visited our congregation in school as well some years back. I'm glad to hear that, because yeah. this is what I, I think we have to get together. Now, I might be more evangelical than you are charismatic. I might be more like James White, for example. Mm-hmm. But what I feel what's important, and I think maybe you agree with me, I'm in, I'm in, a, I'm in a prickly prayers here. What I mean by that is, when I'm, I'm with the Churches of Christ. Now, you know what that means. Ultra-conservative, we will win every debate, you know, high IQ, and we'll, we'll, we'll clean your socks in our debates. That's how we think. That's how we bred up with. I'm trying to get, remain in the churches of Christ, but to bring a Jewish respect of Yeshua, Jesus, a Masonic roots movement, Jesus, and the Church of Christ movement. And I don't want to leave the Church of Christ. And this is my dilemma, Dr. Brown. What am I supposed to do? Should I say, no, I'll stop, don't even talk to the churches of Christ, they're a cult, get out of there, leave, not, nothing to do with them, or should I remain with them? Because they are listening to me. I'm bringing aspects of Jewish roots. Right. And you know what? They look at me with deer in the headlights. But guess what, Dr. Brown? They're listening. I'm telling them things that gets me so excited that the movement of Messiah is getting to them. And I need, maybe yeah, I need so, your encouragement. Yeah, so Jules, yeah, a, a few things. The, the Church of Christ... Uh, of course, there there are two that go by that name. One one being very liberal, but yeah. um, the Church of Christ or is it a cult? Or is it, you know, put put those questions totally aside for the moment and ask the larger question of should you stay if you're making an impact? If in fact people are listening, that's the big question, and, yeah. and in particular leaders, be, because it's not your role to get the congregants to turn against the leaders. Okay, yeah, that so. If, let's say, for example, I was a Baptist and I was in a Pentecostal church that believed in speaking in tongues today. And as a Baptist, I didn't believe in it. My, my righteous role there is not to, to get the church to turn against the leaders. It would be to sit with the leaders, to share my views. If they said, we've heard your arguments, we differ. You're welcome to stay here, but these are our views. Well, then the right thing to do is to bless them and leave. Same way if I was a Pentecostal in a Baptist church, my goal would not be to persuade the people there that they should speak in tongues and therefore go against what their leaders believe. I would sit with the leaders. I would share my views. If they said, no, we don't accept that. This is what we believe. You're welcome to stay, but this is what we believe. Then out of honor and respect to them, I would go somewhere else of people of like heart. However, if the leader said, well, tell me more, or we hadn't considered that perspective or, or give us something to read or, maybe there's something to this, then as long as I could be a positive influence without undermining the leaders or being divisive, I would stay. And I would, I would stay out of love for the people and, and, and out of love for whatever history I had. So the key thing is not, not a congregant or, or someone doing a Bible study at home, but the leaders, did they welcome, it doesn't have to be the whole denomination, but of your local church, did they welcome the input? Are they open? Are they listening? 
Are they willing to make some changes? If so, great. If they come against it, then the best thing to do is to, to explore another part of the body and to find unity there. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Because have you ever sat in the prickly pears like I have? Well, I've sat in many different environments, Jules, with folks of all different stripes. I've been with the hyper-intellectual. I've been with the hyper-emotional. I've, I've been with, you know, all different groups. The, the fact is, when you talk about unity without uniformity, you know, we, we have to have that. There, you know, look at a football team, and, and the players come out, and they're all different sizes, and they have all different skill sets, and, and, and yet they play together on the same team with a, with a deep sense of unity. Look at an orchestra. And all the different instruments with the different sounds and the different skill sets of the musicians, and yet the conductor brings it together in a harmony. Look at the physical body. I mean, if you didn't know any better, what's a hand got to do with an elbow? What's an elbow got to do with an ear? What's an eye got to do with a toe? If you didn't know that it's all part of the same body, you think, what in the world is this? But God made it to work together. So we find our unity in our diversity. We find our unity in these different expressions as long as we hold to the basic fundamentals of the gospel, the basic fundamentals of the authority of Scripture and, and, the, and the one true God we serve in salvation only through Jesus. If we hold to those, then the other things can be secondary. And because no one church or group has it perfectly, on a larger level, we hold to what we hold to, we believe what we believe is important, and yet we recognize the rest of the body and we learn from the rest of the body and we honor the rest of the body. All right, friends, back with you tomorrow on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Visit us in the meantime at AskDrBrown.org. Check out our latest articles and videos.